Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about poaching employees with the help of special guest Erica Taylor of Pro Remodeler. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hi everyone, I'm Tim Fowler and welcome to the Tim Fowler Show. Once again, we're talking about the labor shortage or the labor crisis, however you want to say it. We're trying to help as much as we can with everything that has to do with production. So we've discussed the ladder of opportunity with David Keebler a few sessions back. We've also discussed uh, marketing and actually getting out there and setting your company up to be one of those ones that attracts employees with Jack Justice. And today we're talking about poaching employees. Now, in general, when we're talking about rhinoceros and elephants, uh, poaching is illegal. And of course, there's always the occasional poached egg, which obviously is not illegal. But in the world of business, poaching employees is very, very common. So I'm talking about luring current employees away by offering something that they currently don't enjoy, whether it's higher pay or some kind of benefits. So I think it ought to be mentioned that this happens everywhere. This is not just an issue with the business of remodeling. This is an issue that every business in the world faces because good talent is hard to find. And when you find good talent, obviously, you want them working for you. So we don't necessarily like it, right? But it's out there. And so let's be honest also. Some of the people listening to this podcast have been the ones doing the poaching at some point in the past. It's just different, like when it happens to us. So it should be noted that we can try to think in our head, well, you know what, Tim, it's just business. But you know what? It sure hits hard when it happens. So we want to discuss what's going on in the marketplace in terms of pay a little bit. But we also want to start talking a little bit about this idea of poaching. Why does it happen? Uh, What do you do when it takes place? Maybe a little bit about uh, how can you structure your company so that it doesn't take place as much. Or basically, as a manager or somebody with a company, what can you do about it? So, Steve, this ever happened to you? You know, it it did. And... What I found, I mean, there are so many layers to the, the to the poaching thing, but um, what it, it caught me so off guard. But it, what it really did is it just shine a light on many things that were kind of deficient within the company um, in terms of my management. And, it, you know, there was just kind of a lack of transparency in terms of the vision of the company. It was uh, posed to me as a uh, as a raise. And at the time, I just kind of said, well congratulations on your new job, you know, because that wasn't going to happen. Um, but no, it just, you know, I think there's many ways to look at this. Um, you know, people are looking for true talent and, uh, you know, outside of the ethical confines, you have to be sure that your employees are fully engaged with you within your company to, 
reduce the risk? And, and how about you? Well, you know, um, when I first started in this business, I had two employees that were actually uh, welders by trade. And I spent, I remember sitting around a little fire on a job site one time, encouraging them to take jobs with somebody else. So I'm, I'm not sure that uh, I really uh, fit into this. Although when I was a production manager, we did have occasions where people approached us and uh, asked us for jobs. I don't remember actively recruiting anybody from another company, but I was also always careful to put it in terms of if you want to leave that company, that's fine. Uh, come talk to us, mm -hmm. uh, but we don't necessarily have anything more to offer than those companies. So it, yeah. it's out there. I've seen it. I've heard about it a lot in my travels. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to talk to Erica Taylor. She is the director of content for Professional Remodeler. Prior to that, she served as an editorial director with Hanley Wood and a contributing editor for the Los Angeles Times Book Review. Her work has been published in a number of media brands, including Los Angeles Magazine and the LA Weekly. A native of New York and California, she currently lives in Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the show, Erica. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Okay, so let's start a little bit, set the stage for the conversation by talking a little bit about wages. And I know Pro Remodeler has done some uh, studies recently on the current state of affairs. So what's going on in the marketplace in terms of wages? So we wanted to take a look at our study in at wages in production departments, specifically uh, in nine different markets around the country, our thinking was what someone pays a project manager in San Francisco might be very different than a project manager in say Charlotte. And so national averages aren't as helpful. So we really got a, a lot more detailed looking at these markets. We were fortunate in that we had close to a thousand companies respond with their telling us what their compensation packages look like and their benefits packages. And we, really came back looking at some interesting national statistics that um, I wasn't expecting when we looked at the data. So here's one thing. In 2016, remodelers raised the pay of their production teams just under 2%. In 2019, those same companies are projecting rages, wage, rage, <laughs> wage increases of 4.2% across all the positions and 5% for carpenters. So in just three years, the raises have more than doubled. So and is, when you look at, oh, go on. So is this the, the result of this uh, labor crisis? People are trying to basically buy people to stay with them? Absolutely, w without a doubt. And when you look at those patterns of increases that remodelers are giving to their production teams, comparing that to increases in compensation across all industries in America, you're looking at a difference of a, a full percentage point. So across all industries, we as a country are raising people's pay by about 3%, a little more. And in the remodeling industry, it's over 4% with 5% for carpenters. So we are out, out raising other industries and yet, we still have this labor shortage. It's crazy. And the same is true with benefits packages. It's, it's unbelievable. We, are, we as an industry 
as for small businesses are more likely to pay benefits than other, other small businesses and other industries. So Erica, it's interesting that you you made the comment that uh, we're raising pay, but there's still a labor shortage. And I think it's really important to, to note that the labor shortage isn't because we weren't willing to pay people before. I think it's because we just stopped training people, the country as a whole. And so we're going to have to build that training mechanism back up. And then hopefully it'll catch up and people will see the, the great benefit of the market. A hundred percent. And I also think it's important to note that the labor shortage has so many different tentacles. I mean, part of it is the way that working on a production team is perceived in, you know, by, by sort of mainstream America. And part of it is how parents are pressuring their kids to go to colleges and universities. It's got really nothing to do with an industry that's unwilling to pay. So let's talk about the benefits. I think we started down that road just a second ago, but like are, are companies putting benefits back into the, the compensation package? Uh, a lot of people dropped them during the recession that we had. And uh, are, they, are they showing back up? So it varies widely depending on what market you're in. And it's, it, it, the, the swing was wider than I anticipated. For example, Remodelers in the Boston area, 69% of them are paying medical benefits, which is really significant when you compare that to other small businesses, it's only 58% in other industries. And by small businesses, by the way, it's companies with less than 50 employees is how it's sort of defined. So, but some of the other markets, it's, it's lower. It's like less than half are paying benefits. So it really depends on what market you're in, but that average is still 58%. That average remodeling company nationally, 58% of them are paying benefits, which is, I think, quite high. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years, assuming that we stay in a pretty good market as a, as a country. So let's get down to the poaching thing. Uh, let's talk about this this issue. So from your research with uh, your uh, role in the company there, how big a problem is this in terms of uh, what people are facing out there? It's a problem. And as to the point that you made earlier, when I've spoken with remodelers about this, when I've spoken with groups of remodelers about this, sometimes I hear like, are you going to tell us how to poach more effectively? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so I think what you said is very apt, which is that, you know, it's fine if you do it to somebody else, but it stinks if it happens to you. Right. And so what I thought was important to focus on is how, as a company, what I'm hearing companies do to try to avoid it and mitigate the problem and really shore up um, their team in terms of the, co the commitment to their team staying there. Yeah, I, th I it think is, this is um, a problem. So I Go think on, this sorry. is a big thing. I, I remember visiting with a contractor in Minnesota one time a few years back, and uh, I walked into his office and looked in his refrigerator, and it was stocked full of beer. And I, and I realized that he had had employees with him for 25 years, and I said, this is the secret right here. Have a refrigerator <laughs> full of beer in the office. But, uh, so I'm not sure if your research uh, uncovered that aspect of uh, of the work. But so 
again, let's go back to the, the, the dollars and cents, so to speak. So is that a factor in terms of getting poached or not getting poached? Like if I had a business where I had, I was paying top dollar and I covered all your benefits, including, you know, four weeks vacation, um, would I be able to just automatically keep employees? So it's interesting that you bring that up. Uh, we did an, uh, a really lengthy article on the topic in our December issue. And um, certainly a compensation package is a big piece of the puzzle. Everybody wants to make money, but it's not the only piece of the puzzle. And I know I spoke with one remodeler that we know quite well. Do you know um, Tanya Donahue from Rhode Island Kitchen and Bath? Yes, I do. Well, she has this story where she had a carpenter's apprentice approach her, an apprentice, and say, um, you know, another company has offered me 30% more. Mm -hmm. And what are you going to do? And her immediate response was, thank you for coming to me first. We will match it. She then went to every other employee that she has, and she raised their pay above their cost of living increase. And so she took these really proactive steps she already has a great workplace culture. So with her, it was really adjusting that pay level that made the difference. However, if you just throw money and benefits at the problem and you don't look at what it's like to work for your company, it's not going to protect you from being poached. Somebody will match the salary that you're paying and provide a better culture. So one of the things that just quick crossed my mind is what would keep somebody from saying, hey, Tanya, you know, I want 30% more. And then she says, you got it. And then going back to this other company and saying, hey, my previous company just matched your offer. Have you got a better? What keeps people from playing this, you know, across the street game, so to speak, of, of just jacking it up? Well, I mean, it's probably just pure capitalism. I'm sure they do. And then there's a certain point where somebody is going to blink and say, you know what? <laughs> I love you, but there's, there's a number that I'm not going to go past. Right, right. I think, I think that's right, too. And, and um, so other than that, I mean, other than, you know, just kind of saying, sure, no problem. I'll do whatever you want. What are some of the other keys to yeah, keeping people on your production team. In other words, you mentioned a Rhode Island Kitchen and Bath having that great culture. And we've actually had Steve St. Ange on the podcast a while back. And I know Steve and Tanya very, very well. And they do have a great culture. But other than that, or what goes into that, I guess, in terms of keeping people on board? So Fortune Magazine does a sort of a contest where they award companies the top 100 places to work. And I think looking at the metrics that they use to decide what is a great place to work is really informative for any company, regardless of its size. So there is a, a company in the remodeling industry, incidentally, Power is one of those companies ranked on Fortune magazine. Um, and the, the metrics that they use are values, innovation, financial growth, leadership effectiveness, maximizing human potential, and trust. 
And I believe very strongly that that kind of cuts across all industries and all types of companies. And I believe that creating a company that embodies those values starts with culture-based hiring. I think if you hire people with the right attitude and the right mindset and you develop them, you will grow that trust and you will grow that innovation and create the environment that you want. So this is really interesting because I'm looking uh, at that list and I'm saying, uh, this sounds a little bit like Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team and developing, and they're not the exact same words, but values and leadership effectiveness and trust, obviously, but they they just seem to run parallel. I guess I need to give that a little more thought. But but do do you see some parallel there? A hundred percent. And I read an article in Fortune about how they develop these variables and the amount of time and energy that they put into it. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if they used that as an inspiration as well, because it, it's certainly the parallels are there. So one of the I guess I just. Again, looking at that list, I just want to explore this a little bit more, and 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 I might be pushing a little bit too far on on the information that you have, but I understand innovation, I understand financial growth, I can interpret leadership effectiveness and trust, but values. How do I bring people in that share my values? What are some of the things maybe if if you have an idea, just give us some thoughts about how do I develop a company where we all share the same values? Well, I think it's important when you're interviewing someone for a job to pay very, very close attention to what kinds of questions they ask about the company. And if someone is asking a lot about what are you going to do for me? You know, what, you know, how this is what you're paying me now. How much can I expect to make in a couple of years? And how long are people here before they're promoted? And, but it, but it's very much uh, sort of self-focused. That person is not going to be as much of a team player as someone who asks questions like, what is it like to work here? What might my day look like? Can you tell me a little bit about the team that I'm going to be working with? And even saying what would a a path for advancement be, but that is a different type of question than where am I going to be in five years? And I think that that's kind of laying the foundation for that culture-based hiring. So Um, I did a a workshop recently for a group of people on hiring production or project managers, and I had them rate like what are the most important things to them? And then I had them write interview questions associated with like communication. And it's really hard to write a good interview question that really gets down to, is this person a good communicator? And I can see that right here because what you're talking about is setting up your interview structure, not about crown mold and insulation and energy values, but you're setting it up around who is this person and uh, I think the challenge of writing interview questions that get to people's values is incredible. I think it's I think it's really helpful, and I think it is every bit as important as 
saying to the person that, you know, let's, let's talk about the crown molding. I think it's every bit as important. So um, I also believe along those lines, uh, something else actually that going back to Tanya for a second, something else that they do over there is, and I, and I know I've spoken with a number of other remodelers who employ this same practice, which is they will bring their team in on a second interview and they will have that team kind of vet that person. And that actually accomplishes two things. One is you get multiple pairs of eyes on the person and you can sort of check your own gut read on them. But the other thing that it does is it has your team have skin in the game. They now have investment. It speaks to that workplace culture. They feel like they're part of something and they are going to try that much harder to help that person succeed in the company if they're part of the hiring process. Erica, this is all fantastic information. Uh, so once you have a, an employee in place and maybe you do have room for growth, they have solid compensation, how can we uh, you know, be proactive by having annual reviews and, and what kind of questions can we ask and should we pry into you know, are, are other people approaching you? Maybe not that direct, but what are ways that we can kind of prevent this from happening through annual reviews? So I'm a big believer, not just in annual reviews, but in kind of quarterly check-ins. Mm -hmm. And I think I almost, you can almost think of them as like, um, you're not so much giving feedback to the person about how you want them to improve, but you're having a conversation with the person about how it's going and what they see as their areas of growth over the next quarter. And so typically you might have them jot down a few notes beforehand and you might, it might be something like, what are you doing really well? What do you want to focus on in the next quarter? And what can we do to help you create that focus and achieve some of those goals? And it might be something like, oh, they want to master a new piece of technology or they want to do some kind of continuing education or they want some kind of uh, emphasis on maybe the way that they're working with clients, wh wh whatever it is. But it helps kind of shine a light on that person's goals and it helps you work with them to create goals. And I think it's really important in, in speaking with some of your past guests that have talked about that career ladder. I feel like this is an important piece of that ladder is working with people quarterly in a very um, co more like a coach and less like a uh, hierarchical model where you're mm -hmm. like the following five steps need to be taken. That's not <laughs> what this is about. Yeah. So, Okay, so I've mentioned this same idea to a lot of businesses, and almost every one of them goes, I don't have time to get with everybody once a quarter. So what would you say to them uh, in this context about making sure that these little uh, reviews or what do you call them, uh, interviews, stay interviews, how would you encourage people to kind of like make the time to do that? I would, my first thing is very bold, but I would say you don't have the time to not do it. Not in this market. It is really critical. And the second thing that I would say is it's not that big of an investment of time. It, it really isn't. You can do these meetings. You can knock them out in 20 minutes. I think it's um, 
of 20 minutes that will save you many minutes down the road of having to go through the hiring, interviewing, and training process. Okay, great. So one of the other things that may not be that easy to explain out of that uh, list of qualities for a great business is trust. So you know the remodeling world fairly well from all your work with the, the magazines and other uh, things. So how does trust play a part in this and how do businesses kind of let their employees know that they, they trust them and that they expect trust back? Well, one of the huge buzzwords that we're hearing today, not just in remodeling, but across American culture is this idea of transparency. And I think that transparency is a close cousin of trust. Okay. And the question that business owners need to ask themselves is how transparent do I want to be? And in what areas do I want that transparency? Some businesses have gone as far as to do wage transparency, maybe not exact numbers, but ranges. And some businesses are dead set against that. And it sort of depends, I think, of the personal style of the remodeler. Um, certainly many businesses will do a different level of financial transparency. They'll look at projects. They'll share those projects with their production teams. They'll look at profitability. They'll look at um, sort of how the estimate came out versus how the, pro how the budget came out in the end. And that is uh, something that I hear a lot of remodelers are doing. I also have heard of one remodeler that I know, um, Alan out of California, Aaron Pick, who heads up that company, does a weekly video with his himself and it's a minute long and he might be on a job site and he might be in his office and he might be somewhere in the building. And it's just a way of checking in with the team and people love it. It is a very, very effective tool. So I, I would encourage company owners to be a little creative in how what building that trust looks like. Maybe it's having weekly meetings that aren't just about, you know, where are we on the Baker project, right? right? But are also speak to culture and speak to larger issues happening within the company. Sounds great. So as we wrap this up, uh, Erica, give us uh, maybe one little golden nugget, one little idea that, that would sum all of this up in, in a couple of sentences. Um, I would say that the idea of the growing importance of workplace culture is only going to get stronger and stronger as younger people who have an expectation of a, of a workplace culture that suits their needs. That's only going to get stronger and stronger as they become a more and more dominant force in our labor force in this country. And I think that as a business owner, looking at workplace culture and looking how to, at how to prevent poaching through workplace culture has to be at the top of your list. It's, it's just something you have to look at. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Awesome. That was, that was great, you. Erica. We want to thank you once again for joining us on the Tim Fowler Show. We wish you continued success and look forward to having you back on the show in the future. All right, Tim. Well, let me tell you, this was, uh, you know, I've, because it happened to me, I was so interested in talking to Erica. And, uh, you know, she provided so much great information. And I think that that last nugget that she provided, the last 
<laughs> two minutes of what she just said, I think people should just play that over and over again because it is it is so important. So many times that we think what it is the baker job, and it, it we are you know remodelers and carpenters, but you know to run a truly valuable company to have engagement with your employees, culture has to really be at the pinnacle there. So I just wanted to reference a couple of things that, that she mentioned. Number one would be that December issue of Pro Remodeler uh, magazine online or in paper that has the article in it that that uh, she discussed. That I think it would be great to just take some time, get a little more, dig in and, and see that. I also am thinking about a book I read a few years back called First Break All the Rules that uh, was done by the Gallup organization. And it talks about these quarterly check-ins and it talks about developing a company that people want to work for. And so I would highly recommend to follow up with this podcast. If you guys out there, guys and gals are interested in developing your culture, um, read that book. I think it would be uh, monumental in terms of helping to understand what good culture is interview questions that are associated with it and and those kinds of things i loved that emphasis that erica put in there on those interview questions and trying to check on those values versus can you build things and i and i just see that as being such a critical part of this whole experience yeah well, once again, we would like to thank Erica Taylor for joining us, and we want to thank you for listening to another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. And remember, we're helping the bottom line through production training. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast-track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.